Welcome to Fire and Security Chat, brought to you by Corson Fire and Security, where we talk about the technology and equipment used to protect and secure life and property. I'm your host, Aaron Whitaker, and today I'm with Nick Rajowski, Corporate Trainer at Corson Fire and Security. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Nick about fire hazards in distilleries. You know, in uh, recent news, uh, probably about a couple months back, there's, uh, I think it was a Jim Beam warehouse uh, full of bourbon burnt down. Um, I know uh, probably about three or four years ago, I know a wild turkey one Mm -hmm. burnt down too. Uh, So obviously, you know, there's, there's... there's a lot of things that can burn up in those uh, in those old warehouses. Absolutely. They're full of uh, flammable liquids, and they're generally made out of old wooden beams, and they're kind of barns. They're basically giant barns. Yeah. Now, do, do the large barns or these warehouses where the barrels are stored and aged, uh, do they have – do they require fire extinct or sprinklers or – uh, it's not specifically stated in an FPA 30, which governs the uh, flammable materials and combustible liquids. Um, but most jurisdictions will require them on new construction and any any of these places that have mixed occupancy where they're storing and aging them and also producing it. And maybe they have tours of the facility. You'll see that. Okay. So... Due to the age, once they uh, say these uh, like uh, these bourbon manufacturers uh, renovate mm-hmm. their properties uh, so they can, you know, like you said, do tours to mm-hmm. the warehouses and stuff. Once they touch that property to add anything or change anything, uh, do the new NFPA codes are those kind of come into effect? Yeah, you're going to see International Building Code. The occupancy is going to change as you start allowing tours. If you have uh, tastings or if you build a restaurant on the side of it, and when the occupancy changes, new fire codes are going to be introduced. And when they remodel them, like, for instance, the, one, the ones that have burnt down, when they rebuild those, they will meet the newest code the current code and they will they will have fire sprinklers not only to protect the building but also in the rack systems where everything is stored okay which presents its own set of problems which we can get to later on okay would and i guess it goes my next question and i think i well i think the answer is obvious but maybe not would fire sprinklers prevent some of these large bourbon fires from happening or reduce the damage Uh, In my opinion, yes. Fire sprinklers aren't always a put-the-fire-out solution, but they will definitely control the spread and keep things cooled down. I know um, in reading up on some of these fires, when the fire department comes to the scene, it's usually a big fire already, and they usually let them burn down completely uh, due to the fact that if they used water to put it out or try to limit the uh, the damage that the water would take the bourbon and wash it into the streams and rivers nearby and, you know, create an environmental Absolutely. Uh, problem. Yeah. They, they, uh, they tend to not want to add runoff concerns to the, to the already 
big problem. Uh, the barrels don't tend to fail violently and explode and vaporize and just burn up. Mm-hmm. The The metal bands that hold the barrels together will loosen with the heat and the spirits leak out of the barrel and just fuel the fire. And whatever's on the floor just running out of the building is just going to be it's going to be complicated when you add water to that and it starts running off because now all of a sudden it's not flammable because it's just, it's uh what's the word uh it's diluted with water right. and now it's just going to run off and in most circumstances if a fire sprinkler system was installed mm-hmm. properly in these uh warehouses the initial fire would have probably been limited and yeah absolutely uh, confined yes it's going to cool off the area and it's going to at least stop the spread if you have if you have a part of the building that's on fire or a specific section of the racks that's on fire you'll be able to limit it to that specific section and you won't have every barrel in the building leaking you'll just have that specific area which I do wonder because I know this uh, usually I think this fire happened in the middle of the night so it kind of makes sense that it wasn't discovered until too late, uh, but I'm curious that if they even had any f- smoke alarms or anything in these old warehouses. Or if... I don't know the answer to that, but I would doubt it based on my experience and what we see with the older facilities. Uh, smoke alarms are generally the last thing added and some buildings without smoke alarms mm-hmm. and uh, they they tend to have sprinklers still. So if the building didn't have sprinklers, okay. the chances of it having smoke alarms is pretty slim. Okay. Um, what other fire protection equipment or devices would be good in, I guess, reducing the risk of fires and, and the dangers to the people? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is a linear heat cable in the rack systems. We tend to see that in freezer storage where you have a giant warehouse that is basically a giant warehouse freezer mm-hmm. that has racks where they're storing anything frozen from ice cream to meat, you name it. They're all in racks and general smoke detection, smoke detectors don't tend to work well in that environment. So we do a linear heat cable, which is just two, con- two conductors inside of a jacket And when that wire gets heated up, the jacket melts, the conductors touch, and it gives you an alarm on your system. And that works, that works in those temperatures. Uh, That would generally be able to sense heat or fire before your sprinklers go off. You can decide what temperatures you want to be notified at, Mm -hmm. and you can get a notification that can dial out and notify the authorities and even the building owners before you get to a temperature at which your sprinklers are going to go off and you can already have the authorities on the way. It's an early detection for that. Also, aspirating smoke detection, such as VESDA, is, it's an extreme answer, but it's, it's a possibility. We see that in uh, document storage mm-hmm. warehouses where it's a lot of paper, and if that goes up, there's a large fuel to fuel that fire. It's basically a PVC tubing that's run throughout the racks and ceiling of the building, and there's a smoke detector attached to it that's nothing more than like a vacuum the size of a shoebox. It's always pulling air through these tubes, and it has a very low threshold for fire and smoke, and it will sense that and give you an early notification. So it's basically sampling the air yes. constantly. It's it's quite expensive, but depends on the value of what you're protecting. Yeah. It can be done. So probably for uh, 25-year-old scotches, maybe not right. <laughs> six-year-old bourbons. Right. I'd say linear heat cable is a really good start. Yeah. 
with the sprinkler systems, and you said activating the, the sprinklers, the heat activates the sprinklers. Mm-hmm. With these linear or the air sampling mm-hmm. uh, ones, is there sprinkler systems where they can, I guess, activate them if they sense a fire before the fire is ever Yes, absolutely. Um, There's two options there. We could do a pre-action sprinkler system where there's no water in the pipe until a linear heat cable were to go off, and then we can fill the pipes with water that can be ready when it gets to a temperature to break a or melt a sprinkler and then go off. Or we could do a deluge system, which is open heads Mm -hmm. and no water in the pipe, and then when a linear heat cable would be activated, it could then start spraying immediately. that's a little extreme and it's a lot of water and a really big mess, but we see it at refineries and other places where fire is not an option. You yeah. start spraying water on whatever that is right away. We, yeah. It could be done. Let's get into like, I guess the codes. Does the NFPA or any other regulatory body have fire safety codes specific to distilleries? Uh, NFPA 30, which is the code for flammable and combustible liquids, usually applies to that, um, but that could apply to many other things where you're seeing it in distilleries and storage of this because the flash point is between like 78 and 100 degrees and it can it can light off pretty quick, especially the vapors that are produced in that process. There are uh, not only not only the actual liquids that are being stored, but mm-hmm. the distillation process requires heat and puts off ethanol vapors. Mm-hmm. And those two things combined can make for an explosive environment for sure, which then just dominoes into now we have a building on fire where we're storing these spirits and just goes from there. Yeah, I was uh, going to jump in. I think most people, when they think of uh, fire hazards in distilleries, they think of the bourbon barrels, the old mm-hmm. wood, and mm-hmm. you know the warehouses, and the actual spirits, which are... Uh, depending on the alcohol content can be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, flammable, but yeah, it's, there's other, uh, there's other stuff. There's other fire hazards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, um, in bourbon and the barrels, they, over the age when they, the heat, uh, they basically put off the, they breathe mm-hmm. through the barrels is what happens. And, uh, the vapors, you know, can, can fill up the air mm-hmm. and with, if, in the warehouses, usually the wind or the breeze can kind of blow through and keep it, you know, those explosive or flammable vapors mm-hmm. down. Um, but, yeah, that that's a danger. And, I mean, obviously the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole, yeah, the whole process of making it. Um, you know, I think when you first, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've studied up on my distillery. But... Usually it's a highly flammable uh, liquid that you start out with um, that then you age it and yeah. smooth it out over time. Calm it down over time. But yeah. yeah, it starts off very flammable. And just the process, the process from start to finish produces vapors. They call that the angel's cut or the angel's share. Be, yeah. yeah, they end up with a little bit less than they started because it evaporates. Cut, yeah, right. It. it does go somewhere, though, and it is yeah. in the air. And keeping that area ventilated is a good start to reducing that risk. Um, is any of these, any of the regulatory bodies, you know, I mentioned NFPA, there's also, uh, the International Code Council, FM Global, um, are any of them like, I guess, working on developing codes or regulations specific to distilleries? 
or or even I guess we we can jump into like the micro distilleries, mm-hmm. which is very, really booming right now. Uh, FM Global started some research five to seven years ago, and they presented a lot of their findings at the 2017 NFPA Expo. And a lot of it was geared towards the micro distilleries and the mixed occupancy. But it is, it's pretty obvious to them that a lot of these facilities that are storing are, they're old companies with a rich history. And they like to, they pride themselves on how, hey, here's how old we are. We've been doing this for 100 years. We've been doing this for 75 years. And that, that's a dead giveaway that the facility that they're being stored in is probably pretty old. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, we, we got a dog more than a decade ago from rural Kentucky and uh, that's where the breeder was. And they, we drove by some of these storage facilities that just look like giant old barns mm-hmm. and you, you just know how old they are. Fire codes didn't apply. And that's where FM global is starting with uh, the age of the facilities that they're being stored in and some of this mixed occupancy that you, you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, the micro distilleries, you know, we talk about these old bourbon makers. They're usually out in the country, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bourbon. It's, you know, drive around Kentucky mm-hmm. and you see them out, you know, just in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, when they catch on fire, there's not really much risk except for maybe a forest Yeah, that it's going to damage anything. Uh, when you get to these micro distilleries that are really kind of popping up, uh, it's kind of following the micro craft brew kind of craze there they tend to set up in uh, urban areas uh you know usually it's the hip locations mm-hmm. of uh you know indianapolis mm-hmm. fountain square mm-hmm. i know has one uh that's when you start thinking about that with the distiller distillation process uh the flammable you know hazards mm-hmm. in the whole process uh, you're no longer dealing with just a where of old barn, you know, it's, uh, there's usually tasting rooms. Uh, they're usually next door. They're in, uh, you know, they're next, they're in buildings in downtown next door to other buildings. And that can be restaurants, uh, condos, apartments, retail shops. Uh, you know, all of a sudden now you've kind of have this, uh, like you said, that multi purpose, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh, occupancies. IBC calls it that mixed use occupancy. And at that point, you then start to have to protect the building based on the uh, the most dangerous hazard. Mm-hmm. So you're protecting the whole building from the most dangerous hazard, which is those vapors. And even the, there's a boiler involved in that, which is pressurized that could explode if not maintained pr- or used properly. Um, but then you're just protecting that building and that building's occupants. What about the building next door? What about the building across the street? Mm-hmm. Um, when you do have the, the distillery inside of a building and maybe there's apartments or condos or a shopping center and a restaurant all attached to it, you need to protect that whole building as if the whole thing were a distillery and the dangers involved of, you know, letting people in for a tasting or doing a distillery tour are really complicating it. And it's really making the industry play catch up because there are no codes that regulate that the manufacturers and the companies can kind of do whatever they want. And the industry is really having to play catch up before there are big problems. Well, I mean, uh, you know, usually cities, they, they tend to zone, have different zones of uh, types of businesses. You know, your 
you're manufacturing those types of businesses are usually separated from, you know, the retail uh, and restaurant areas. Um, and, you know, manufacturing, there's lots of, you know, uh, hazards mm-hmm. uh, that are associated yeah. with it. And But, yeah, when you get to micro distilleries, uh, most of these cities and towns don't really have any rules or probably have even thought about the fact that they're mm-hmm. kind of bringing in this uh you know this, this higher risk of yeah for sure uh, fire you know type of business into mm-hmm. their their urban or retail areas yeah and up until up until this was an issue the biggest problem that we saw with the restaurants would have been like a solid fuel mm-hmm. where you have places that are cooking over a wood fire and that that's a little different than like a gas flame that can be it can be extinguished a lot easier just by shutting the gas off whereas the which we do with the mechanical device when the the hood system discharges in a commercial kitchen there's a mechanical gas shut off that shuts the gas off to the fire and that's that's great but what about places that were cooking over a wood fire now we have to put that fire out and continue to cool that fuel until it's no longer a hazard. And that used to be the biggest issue. Now we have the ethanol vapors. We have the boiler that could explode. We have the spirits being stored there. And um, there are different classifications, like a small, medium, and large, but you can still store thousands of gallons of spirits and still be considered a small distillery. Okay. Now, it sounds like uh, the NFPA, FM Global, those are they're kind of playing catch up um, in a way. Uh, how I guess if I was starting a micro distillery, um, you know, if I came to Corson to protect it, how what is what is the rules or regulations or how would we kind of approach it as far as uh, the occupancy or classification of the business? We, we would look at protecting that building as if it were occupied like a, you know, like a business, like mm-hmm. a restaurant. There's, there's general public in there, and we would balance that with the hazards stored, which would – you would have a sprinkler system. You would have smoke detection. You would have notification devices, and it would be monitored to get the, to get the authorities there as soon as possible, to get the people out of the building – and to begin getting water on the fire as soon as possible, which helps control it. In a lot of cases, it will put the fire out, but it's designed to just control it, cool it, keep it under control till the authorities can get there and get their equipment inside of the building. So you would see, you would see probably a system that would be excessive, you know, in most people's eyes, mm-hmm. and it would be extremely expensive for that restaurant or that distillery to, to get it in. But they have to balance that cost versus the safety of the occupants of the building. But it, it would be it would be protected based on the worst case scenario for sure. It'd be protected based on there being explosive material stored in a place that the public can access, which yeah. is a rare combination. Yeah. Would it uh, you know you say excessive? Would it be excessive in the area? Like say there was a store rack, uh, a rack where mm-hmm. the barrels are aged mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, the sprinkler system throughout the whole building, it would just need to be, I guess, excessive near would, those hazards? Or? By excessive, I think most people say, yeah, we got to put a sprinkler system in this building. Mm-hmm. They're going to think the standard of running 
pipes yep. spaced every 10 feet with sprinklers and the ceiling which is the standard right and yeah. i'm i'm saying that we do a rack system where we pipe down into yeah. the racks and each rack each level of the racks has sprinkler in there if you go to a um uh like a, a home store like a home depot or a lowe's and you go to their paint section mm -hmm. they have a rack sprinkler system in there oh it's uh it's flammable material and the public's allowed in there so they've they've got to think about that even if the public wasn't allowed in there yeah. there's flammable material and the sprinklers that spray down from the ceiling are not going to get down to the bottom levels of those racks mm -hmm. and even even a rack system for the uh barrel storage racks mm -hmm. a rack sprinkler system for that part of fm global's research that they started five to seven years ago found that the upright storage of the barrels when you start to spray water on them that that top of that that flat top of that barrel starts to hold some of the water and it doesn't get down to the bottom of the rack as fast as you'd like it to mm -hmm. so they're they're working with the manufacturers and trying to figure out different spray patterns or different placements of these sprinklers or how can we how can we do it do we have pendant sprinklers on top of that rack and then underneath that rack do we have an upright that's that covers the bottom of that rack that's all something that they're were that they're working through and it's just going to be different than if we were storing if we were storing the barrels on their side that curved top would not hold mm -hmm. the water it would just roll right off and go down but the flat top of the bourbon barrel tends to hold some of the water and delay that water getting down. And that's just part of their research, part of them trying to work through and keep all that safe. When should we expect, uh, I know like the NFPA usually takes every four years or mm -hmm. so for them to update their uh, codes. When should we expect to kind of start to see some of this new language, I guess? That's a great question, and I'd be remiss if I started to put dates on it, but if FM Global started this five to seven years ago, I would definitely expect to see something taking place within a decade of them starting that, so we're coming up on the last you know, three to four years of that needing to be wrapped up and starting to see some things put in place. Um, new codes takes time because mm -hmm. of words and approval and getting it all into documentation. But this is going to require some new product as well, some new fire protection products, sprinklers, okay. yep. a little bit of different hardware, which takes some time to develop. And then that has to jump through all the hoops, UL and FM Global, to get approved for fire protection service. So this is a little more complicated than, a, than just rewriting the code. The hardware involved and the placement and the spray pattern, that all has to be thought of, and that, that is going to delay it as well. You know, it's it's funny to think that, you know, whiskey and bourbon and this type of stuff has been around for centuries and centuries. I mean, you know, alcohol's mm -hmm. as old as age of time, but now that it's kind of uh, with these micro distilleries, mm -hmm. that it's kind of becoming, getting closer into these uh, urban mm -hmm. areas now all of a sudden, you know, and it seems like it's a little more urgent. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, people's lives are at stake with this and environmental concerns are higher than they were, you know, 50, 100 years ago. You say alcohol's, you know, the spirits have been around since the beginning of time, but 
environmental concerns weren't around since the beginning of time. And when we think about an entire warehouse of spirits just leaking out into the environment, that's another concern. We need to put that fire out sooner Mm -hmm. so that the fire department isn't worried about washing it all out into the, into the atmosphere, into the ground. So those concerns, environmental concerns, people's lives, that's a, that's a big concern of everybody and it should be addressed before before we have some major issues yeah. and a lot of those warehouse fires nobody's injured injured because it's it happens overnight like you said and there may only be a couple of people in the facility that can get out really easily all right uh wrapping it up what are some i guess good general practices to reduce the risk of fire in distilleries fire protection that's meeting the worst case scenario treating that as a highly flammable material and with a notification system that gets the occupants out as soon as possible, really combining fire alarm systems with advanced sprinkler systems and keeping that area ventilated and the best practices, making sure that there is some oversight on this and having having that part of the local AHJ's radar that they are checking in on that not just making sure that inspections were done, not just making sure that your fire alarm's been inspected, but making sure that your storage is appropriate, that Mm -hmm. your manufacturing processes are appropriate, and that if you're in a mixed occupancy building, that you're kind of drawing the line. Like, yeah, this is our tasting room, here's our facility, we do tours, and other than that, people stay out of that area that really needs to be enforced. They need to have a plan from start to finish to enforce some of this before these micro distilleries who are just kind of, they're doing what they're allowed to do, which is whatever right Mm -hmm. now. And it feels like kind of everybody's winging it and we don't want to see any lives lost over it. Yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah, I mean, so far it's been the big bourbon warehouses out in the country. Um, Yeah, I haven't, I don't think I've read anything not that I've seen in the news of. Wasn't the most recent one a lightning strike caused it? In um, my research for this, it was a lightning strike, and then they, there was like a fire tornado because all the wind from the storm and it was blowing it, making it look like a tornado above the building. Very real yeah. scary, but the you know if that would happen in an urban environment, it would have been would have been real cause for concern. Yeah. All right, uh, Nick. Uh, thank you for joining me today. If you have any more questions about fire protection for uh, your distillery or if you have a micro distillery or business, uh, you can contact your local Corson Fire and Security branch or visit us online at Corson.com. Nick, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. All right, that'll be it for today. Take care, everybody. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and rate us on iTunes. You can also find our podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and other popular podcast players. Search for Corson Fire and Security Chat to find it. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next week for our next episode of the Corson Fire and Security Chat podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is believed to be reliable, but Corson Fire and Security assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. It does not constitute professional advice. The listener of this podcast is responsible for verifying the information's accuracy from all available sources, including the product manufacturer. The authority of having jurisdiction should be contacted for code interpretations.